Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Modest Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and Tony's here with me today. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Good, good. How's your night going? It's all right. Uh, just edited a good story by Wei Shen that will be going live in a couple hours. Um, got another story going up about, you guys will have read it by then, but Bloomberg and uh, Chart IQ. We've got some good exclusives on the website coming up here uh, that, that, that the folks should be checking out on waterstechnology.com. Not that I'm pimping our website or anything like that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, what what are you really reading out there? I mean, how much more New York Times and Washington Post and Guardian can you really possibly read? You should be checking out what's happening in the technology world, right, Weishan? Yes, yes, that's right. And like now, currently, so the time is 10, 10.32 p.m. Uh, Tuesday night, My New time. York time. Yes. And it's 10.32 a.m. Wednesday, Hong Kong time. Mm-hmm. So um, given that time, we already have seven stories up on the website uh, just related to coronavirus just this week. So yeah, do head to our website to check it out. And um, there's more to come. This is just the, the first two days. Yeah. And make sure, Shen to include the link that has the coronavirus tag so you can find all of our coverage, all the stories we've written, you know, several dozen stories related to coronavirus that hopefully are can be of some use to you, provide some insights. And then this podcast here, the way we're going to go about it is having it just be kind of a a thought leadership, um, a, a platform for thought leadership around coronavirus, but where people can also talk about some of the projects that they're working on during these turbulent times, which I think naturally segues into, uh, I think we got a guest this week, right, Weishan? Yeah, we do, but you kind of stole my thunder there. I wanted to say yes. that. Nice. Yeah. Go me. Go me. <laughs> see, I, you know, you, you see, you screwed it up because I handed off a perfect, that was a perfect transition. Do you know how your transitions are kind of garbage and how they're just really just, they kind of hit and see, that was just a perfect handoff. Uh, you know, we in the business called a, um, I don't know what we call it, but anyway, it was perfect. <laughs> Fine, whatever you say. But anyway, yes, this week we have a guest on. Um, we have Ophir Geffen, the head of APEC at Activity, who's come on the podcast to talk about how Activity and in Asia Pacific has kind of dealt with the coronavirus situation and how um, Activity has um, had to enact some BCP plans and how their offices elsewhere have uh, taken an example from that because, well, you know, uh, things really started heating up here uh, in Asia first. Yeah. And then we go on to talk a little bit more about um, the Bloomberg Seoms migration. Because mm-hmm. that um, Seoms is closing in, or oh, it's cutting off in April 2021. So he's he, he was talking to me about how firms should really, you know, get, get choosing a vendor, get with choosing a vendor uh, before it's too late. Yeah. Some of these things, I mean, migration does take time. Does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and uh, that was a big story that uh, Wei Shen broke uh, last year that Siams was leaving the uh, that they were going to be shuttering that and their KYC platform as well. But um, I know that Activity is one of the the leading providers that's trying to pick up all those uh, former Siams users and migrate onto their platform. So yeah, it's good. Good guest. Yep, and they also have. Um... They, they took on some some people from CMs too, as in uh, hired. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So while well, we're we're looking to bring more guests like 
Ophir on to talk about how like the coronavirus has been impacting them and also, you know, um, to talk about issues like the Seahawks migration. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. And, and I mean, I already brought up that we were going to have thought leaders on. So, I mean, that was oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of us bickering. Um, <laughs> let's just go straight into um, my conversation with Ophir. Hope you guys enjoy this week. Enjoy the See week. Bye bye. Okay, so this week joining us on the podcast is Ophir Geffen, the head of Asia Pacific at Activity. Welcome to the podcast, Ophir. Thank you very much, Ray. I'm very happy to be on your podcast. Happy to have you. So uh, previously, I guess before uh, Activity, you were from Ulink, and then before that, ITG. So maybe you could tell us a little bit from your experience, you know, what, uh, how that has changed, and you know, with uh, Ulink integrating with Activity here. Um, you know what that what that has meant for you, and um, maybe give our listeners a little bit of a, a background of uh, what you're doing. Sure, I'm very happy to. So, um, as you rightly pointed out, I started with uh, with ITG. I've been with uh, ITG, the broker dealer, for uh, about 18 years. Um, a couple of years ago, in around mid 2017, uh, I've uh, decided to move and joined Ulink at the time, which, uh, which was a, a vendor here. I was in APAC um, at that point, and, and I joined as the head of Ulink for APAC. Later on um, into 2018, we've merged with Activity, and I was very happy to take over the role of the regional head for the combined firm. So my, my background before was, uh, you know, ITG is a, was a very technology-oriented broker-dealer. You know, I was part of the um, electronic trading desk and, and the um, part of the transaction cost analysis team. So I was very comfortable with technology. But um, I would say that, you know, kind of doing the transition from a broker-dealer to a vendor, I've uh, initially learned a lot about, you know, how do you really sell technology as a standalone and not really as a service where this is what we've done uh, as a broker. On the other hand, I felt I had a fairly good domain knowledge um, in, you know, capital markets, how they behave and and what kind of our clients were looking for. Then when we uh, we merged with Activity, it, it opened a whole new other aspect of the business, which is really the whole aspect of derivatives uh, market making and, and prop trading. This was an area that you know I, I was not really exposed before because my my uh, initial roles were always on the cash equity side of things, and it really opened up a whole new set of asset classes. It was very interesting for me to kind of compare and contrast, you know, the type, the, the the segment, the type of clients we had, the different needs of clients. But there are there are also a lot of similarities because at the end of the day, you know, both. You know, when when I look at our derivatives-driven uh, business, uh, market-making business, we're still looking at predominantly on-exchange instruments um, throughout the firm. So uh, these are, you know, primarily asset classes that trade on exchange um, versus some asset classes that don't trade on, uh, that trade off exchange. You know, like fixed income and FX instruments, which is something that we are starting to look more and more to now. But again, traditionally, have been more focused on the uh, on exchange um, assets. So I think, you know, from that, that's kind of a, a quick on my background. I think the past kind of most of 2018 from my perspective was really focused on, you know, managing the merger. A, a big chunk of 2019 
obviously was was about that, you know, getting to uh, almost equal size firms in terms of revenue and, and, and number of people to come together, you know, on a unified platform. Um, and, and I think we've we've done a pretty good job at now having a much more holistic offering um, to our clients. Um, obviously, you know, the uh, the beginning of this year, we, we had the whole COVID-19 uh, challenge. But up until, you know, up until then, you know, we were really moving, uh, and I would say APAC was really moving very quickly um, and, and probably ahead of the curve uh, in terms of the merger, because this is one of the first uh, branches of the company that we really decided to fully merge merge the uh, the functions between the principal and the agency aspect of the business. Okay, well, since you mentioned COVID nineteen, there, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have uh, that activity has seen? Uh, you, maybe maybe from your side of things, and and then also on the client end. You know, what are some of the measures that, uh, or the, you know, maybe the BCP plan, plans that you have put in place um, and seeing that it has impacted um, APEC or Hong Kong, you know, quite early on before uh, the rest of the world actually got hit. Um, you know, how has it affected um, activity elsewhere? That's a very good question. So, so yes, you're absolutely right. I think you know, uh, in Asia, we were one of the first kind of to, we, we caught the first wave, right? Uh, COVID-19 started unfolding. The story really started to unfold um, in Asia first. Um, I think the measurements that were taken by governments, uh, you know, outside of China, across Asia, were, were fairly uh, advanced and well measured. Uh, you know, I think the Hong Kong government and, and other governments, you know, Singapore governments, th- these are the main ones we've been exposed to had some level of experience from previous outbreaks, um, like the SARS in, in the 2003 mm. um, era, they, they took, I would say, uh, measures to curb movement and, or you know, social interaction. But uh, because they took them early on, those were not extreme measures. Uh, so I think the initial, you know, initially for from a company perspective, one of the first things we've done is kind of polish our BCP procedures, and we've done that pre- pretty early on, and we've entered the BCP mode fairly early on um, w- within the process in Hong Kong, later on in Singapore, and and even later, more later on in um, in Japan. Um, that led us to kind of figure out. Some of the things that were working really well, uh, our BCP mostly consisted from, you know, people working from home um, and accessing uh, support um, and client functions from that. Um, We saw that, you know, more, you know, yeah, we had a little bit of kinks in the beginning in terms of the access, but that was cleared up really in the first couple of days. Um, We had a fairly established BCP in terms of communication between people. Um, We had a, a small number of people still coming to the office. The majority of people were uh, doing their job from home, and actually, it has gone pretty smoothly. Um, as these measures have unfolded in other uh, regions, you know, Europe and, and now also in the U.S., um, I would say we've applied pretty much the same measures that were applied in Asia. Uh, but obviously, uh, they've learned kind of from some of the issues. So, you know, some of the issues that, that I've um, highlighted is. You know, you can work from home if you've got a network, if, you, you know, if, if you've got the, um, the laptop uh, or you've got some, some hardware at home. 
the biggest issue, for example, we found was mostly around hardware. Because most people, you know, would, you know, if you work for a laptop, you have a small screen and it's not the most convenient to work off a small screen for hours on end. Um, mm. So one of the things we've tried to make available in Asia is for people to come to the office and kind of register and pick up, you know, screens from the office that they can use at home. This is one of the things that we've kind of practiced. Uh, we, we knew kind of to practice also in other offices as this thing unfolded. Our company is, uh, you know, generally using, um, you know, VPN for access and uses the Google suite for, for tools. Um, I think one of the amazing things is we found that it's, it's extremely easy to use that uh, platform from pretty much anywhere. Uh, you, you have access to your emails, you have access to your calendar, you know, you have access to documents, et cetera. It's all kind of cloud-based. Um, and then the things you need to access within, uh, behind, obviously, the firm firewall, then, then you have the VPN. We have not experienced really any major issues or glitches. We managed to keep our service to our clients, um, you know, pretty stable. Uh, I would say that, you know, as we... We were trying to fit ourselves to the way our clients were behaving with COVID. Most of our clients are large institutions, financial institutions, you know, banks, brokers. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them went to some sort of uh, disaster recovery mode. Um, initially, people working from uh, remote sites, then people working from home and combination of some of the people in the office, some of the people working from home. We haven't experienced any real problem with our software you know i think it's uh it's been pretty stable and works well most of the issues again that i i've heard from our clients was it's very difficult for a trader that is used to work with six or eight screens in the office to have the same setup at home mm -hmm. so you know even even if you manage to get a setup at home it's usually like uh you know it's two screens right uh yeah. three at most so i think a lot of the issues were were around that um so uh, it's more kind of hardware related and, and the hardware that you need to set yourselves up um, at home, less so with, you know, the software we provide. Um, but we've definitely seen that, you know, with um, kind of less uh, screen uh, area, I call it screen real estate area, um, people were more relying, um, especially on the, uh, on the market making side, on the automation that we've built into, uh, into our products. So I think these are some of the, the things we've we've seen. It, with with your permission, you know, I'd look. Um, uh, I, I want to give a slightly, you know, wider and narrower view. So wider view in terms of markets, right? I mean, the markets have been. Mm -hmm. um, it's been it's been very interesting to see how the markets have been uh, behaving. You know, taking into account that within a generation or within the last twenty years. Um, this is uh, the third downturn we're experiencing, right? We had the dot, the dot com debacle um, at the uh, beginning, kind of of uh, of the century around the 2000, 2001 to uh, 2002. Then we had the global financial crisis of 2008 um, right. uh, through uh, 2009, and now we have uh, this, which is a more health-driven uh, crisis. But still, you know, a crisis nevertheless. We, we are seeing how, how markets are behaving. You know, one of the things we've, uh, we've kind of noticed um, that, you know, when you have a severe impact on, on the markets, especially one that causes a downturn, usually leads, um, you know, financial institutions to kind of 
re recheck their cost structure and re-evaluate their cost structure. And, you know, based on the previous financial crisis, which were not the same, um, but, you know, some of the kind of, some of the results were the same, right? Lower markets, higher volatility. Um, wow. We saw that, you know, it led to, th to two th things. One is, you know, being more cost conscious. Um, a lot of time looking for opportunities to outsource some of the activities. And, and the other one is, you know, that the greater volatility a lot of times leads to faster moving markets, um, shorter time to respond, and that leads to more automation. Both of these trends, from our perspective, we look at them as, uh, as positives, right? Um, large banks, large financial institutions kind of re-looking at their cost structure, re-examining, you know, where they really add value to their clients versus what you know, is, uh, is more or less, you know, commoditized from their perspective and they should outsource usually leads to an uptick in, in our uh, sort of outsourced uh, services, which is really off-the-shelf software. And again, greater volatility that leads to greater automation is a positive for us because, you know, that is one of the main areas where, we, you know, where we are investing, um, which is uh, more automation. The other aspect I, I wanted to uh, to talk about is kind of more looking, you know, inward looking at activity, and this is really because, you know, this is these are, these are turbulent times. You know, we are hearing about uh, a lot of uh, um, institutions, not necessarily financials, but companies, you know, airlines, uh, food and beverage, obviously struggling, uh, and and you know their revenue streams being hard hit which generally leads to, to uh, severe cost-cutting measures, you know, and, and more specifically to redundancies. You know, the, with a company like, uh, like ours, you know, as, as a vendor, most of our revenue, over 90% of our revenue, is tied to long-term contracts with, with large institutions. So generally, you know, most of it is secured, you know, a couple of you know, years into the future. That leads us to, to have a fairly stable revenue base that we can draw on, you know, to, to make the right investments. So I think from, from our perspective, and even if I look at, you know, our current situation at the end of Q1, we've still seen in APAC, uh, you know, uh, good sales. We, we have not seen, you know, anything kind of fall off a cliff. We are entering Q2 with a reasonably good pipe and, and still deals going on. Um, most of our clients um, are still pushing forward with the, with the deals they have. Yes, there are some delays and so on, but overall, the deals we've uh, we've seen kind of build up in, in in past months are materializing, and and similarly, you know, we, we're fairly secure with our revenue base, so we're not scrambling at this point, you know, not not to shed obviously jobs and cost, but at the same time, we are not stopping any of the investment that mm. that we've started to uh, to put together in the past. So it's a turbulent time, and, and obviously we are very cautious, and, and we are all very paranoid, both for our healthcare and you know, uh, and, and what's you know, what will the economy look after? Um, but in this area where we are right now, um, I think we're feeling pretty secure that the business is progressing well. Okay, that that's very good to hear. I'm just curious though, because you you mentioned yes, uh, a lot of firms uh, are becoming more cost conscious. Right, and in terms of what they uh, want to spend on, let's say 
it could be in uh, implementation of tech projects or maybe they wanted to expand into a different market and they're just like, okay, wait, we got to like reassess this. Um, you, you mentioned outsourcing earlier, you know, could you give me some examples of some of the, maybe some of your, at some of your clients, you know, what particular areas are they looking to outsource? And in terms of automation, where exactly do they um, find it a priority, particularly in this trying time and, you know, with the, with everyone, let's say either working from home or on rotation or whatever, you know, um, where are these, uh, I guess, how are these priorities shifting? Sure. Look, I think every, every time you have a shock to the system, to any system, it causes reevaluation. Um, right. I mean, look at the situation right now. We've got, all, you know, we're all, almost all of us are working from home, right? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in the office today, uh, but, but generally, you know, we are shifting um, towards doing more work from home. You know, when, when this, this whole thing started, you've seen, uh, for example, the, the Zoom uh, stock price, uh, you know, uh, jump, right? There, there are a lot of people coming online and saying, oh, what, what kind of infrastructure should we, we use for that? I've mentioned previously that, that you know, uh, our company, most of the, call it the, uh, the day-to-day kind of software that we use is, is cloud-based, right? So mm. I think these are some of the measures you're going to see companies reevaluating. You know, when, once you have more things cloud-based, it makes it easier for you to work from anywhere. Um, it also gives you a lot more flexibility um, in terms of your cost base. So, you no, know, generally, you know, uh, people, uh, companies look at people as kind of as a, as a fixed cost, right? You, you don't like letting employees go. It's always hard to to hire. You know, once once you kind of got you know a, a good talent in house, you don't necessarily want to let that talent go. Um, that talent, in effect, becomes part of your fixed cost. Now, what you have to think then as a company do I best apply um, that talent? So when you're asking me, you know, what are companies looking more to, to outsource? Generally, you know, they're looking at areas where they're not really adding value, right? So if you look, for example, uh, if, if I take an example from, from my past, you know, I, I was working at a broker dealer, um, a fairly large electronic broker dealer globally with a, a book, big footprint in Asia, where we felt we were adding, client, adding value to our clients, where generally, you know, broker-dealers, uh, banks feel they're adding value to, to clients on, uh, on an agency execution basis is, you know, finding liquidity and advising around how to execute. On the other hand, where, you know, uh, where in the past, you know, they may felt that they were adding value, but now it's been becoming more kind of commoditized and you can find good off-the-shelf solution is the whole plumbing is the whole connectivity which has you know has the thing of how an order gets from my buy side into into my OMS and out to the market and vice versa how do those execution get back how do I tie these systems together all that you can you know you, you cannot even I think today make the argument that you have to build this in-house because you're you ha- you're sitting on some you know, extremely value-adding uh, value proposition to your client. Plus, you can find those solutions, a pretty strong solution. The market there is pretty mature um, off the shelf. This is what we call the, um, you know, the managed connectivity services or managed fixed um, services. You can find a pretty good off-the-shelf, we offer one, 
um, that you can administer in in house. You can customize in house, but you don't have to take on the full cost of managing gateways to exchanges and managing all the fixed, you know, uh, connectivity development, um, et cetera, et cetera. You can have a ready-made solution um, that is completely outsourced, and that is a cost which you can kind of remove from your balance sheet and and just put as a as a clear expense, right? Just like a lot of banks are no longer, you know, buying the offices that they reside in. You know, they they tend they tend to rent it, so they've got more flexibility um, around the cost. If you know, if they grow in size, they can rent more space. If they reduce in size, they can rent less space. It's it's the same idea, right? It's very easy mm-hmm. for us, you know, to add, add more gateways, add more markets as client expand, and on the other hand, to shrink it as as they shrink. They don't have to, you know, fire developers that de- develop gateways and so on. So this is definitely one one area where we're seeing, you know, more outsourcing take place. Now you've mentioned um, some clients are, you know, maybe postponing uh, plans for expansion and so on. Yeah, I mean, we we have seen some clients trying to delay some of these decisions, but some of these decisions are are inevitable, right? Um, uh, we know, for example, that the solution that um, Bloomberg Seums has offered is effectively coming offline in April of next year. Yeah. And migration still takes, depending on how big of a platform you had you had uh, you used from Bloomberg, and migration still can take anywhere between you know one to two months to six to eight months. So yes, you can postpone some of these plans, but for some of them, there is a very clear deadline, right? If you have to come off a Bloomberg Seums in April of 2021, and by the end of this Q2, this quarter, you have not signed a contract with anyone, you may be in trouble because uh, the resources you know, may, may not be available or the timeline may not be there to, uh, to make that migration. So uh, you may postpone some decision, you know, do I go to, for example, market A or market B? Uh, maybe I, I wait a little bit to see how this COVID-19 plays out. But on the other hand, on some infrastructure decision, on some OMS decisions, on some connectivity decisions, you may not want to delay that for too long, uh, because there are very clear deadlines um, on that that, that that need to be met. Right. I think finally you've asked me a little bit about automation, and and I say you know the the, the hot area right now for definitely we're seeing for automation is is around um, you know options uh, and even more so warrants market making in Hong Kong. Um, we've seen a surge in interest in, in that segment. Um, I think the warrant market, the, the warrant market in Hong Kong has been, you know, fairly active for the past couple of years. It's definitely, you know, this added volatility, added added activity in warrants and options, and it just becomes, you know, if if you want to really industrialize your operations in in that uh, segment of the market, you need more and more automated solutions um, in Asia, right? You you can it's becoming harder and harder. Uh, to trade this manually. Yes, if you're trading, and if you're trying to market make one or five warrants, you can. But if you're trying to do, you know, 500 or 800 of them, then you really need an automated solution. And this is kind of, this is one of the core areas where we invested a lot over the past few years and, you know, came out with a T-Brick solution, which is now really maturing in the Hong Kong market 
and and becoming you know one of our uh, bigger seller in this market. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, you mentioned that options and uh, warrants are becoming more popular here, and and firms, but maybe particular here in Asia, are uh, you know very interested in what the Hong Kong market is doing. You know what is actually driving that, and in terms of the conversations that you have with some of these clients who are interested in options and warrants, you know how are they looking to uh, what be it market making for one to five or let's say five hundred, you know. Um, what are some of the challenges in getting them to uh, think about automation and uh, or, or is it not a challenge at all? Are they just like, you know, coming to you directly and saying uh, we need help with this? You know, where are specific, some of the specific pain points that, you know, they're experiencing experiencing in, in terms of uh, um, market making in this uh, area? Yeah. So, so I think... Um, Probably the latter of what you said. So they're kind of coming to us and saying, "Hey, you know, uh, we, we want to come into this market. Um, the warrant market making in, in Hong Kong has been fairly active. Um, you know, the volatility of the market, you know, adds, adds kind of more. You know, Hong Kong at the end of the day is a, is a very retail-driven market, and and warrants are just you know ways of, of making really leverage bets for uh, for some of these retail invest, investors, and and those banks want to you know offer." Um, uh, over the, those instruments. So as you see, you know, more kind of uh, more institutions, banks wanting to come into that, they realize, you know, that really the, this is uh, the game you want to play here is, is not on, on one or two or ten. It's, it's, it's a much larger one, you know, it's on, it's on hundreds and, and they need the automation solution. Uh, so they're coming to us. I think you know what you're asking me where where the challenges um, are. I think the challenges um, th- there are a number of challenges. Most of the challenges revolve around you know for those banks and so on trying to coming into that segment it is really finding the right talent. You know, when I talk to to clients, um, I think what what there is shortage of uh, in, in the market is talent, uh, talent both to trade, both, both on the trading side, but also on the technology side. So a lot of the clients are asking us, hey, can you recommend on traders? I said, well, I wish I could, but, you know, they're sitting with another client of ours. So I don't really want you to <laughs> to hijack, you know, uh, the trader from client A to client uh, to client B. And, and, and technology, IT talent, you know, to, to maintain these systems, to uh, kind of customize these systems um, is another challenge. And therefore, we are seeing more and more of these uh, th- th- these clients that are coming to us really asking us for, you know, a complete outsource solution, what we call a managed service. So basically, they want us to take on, uh, you know, not just a part of selling them the software or licensing the software, but also really building um, a fully managed solution A to Z. So, you know, we take ownership of the hardware, um, of supporting the hardware, of servicing uh, the the software um, within our, basically, um, data center. So what we're seeing is, I think, because this shortage of talent, really clients coming to us and asking us, look, uh, we'd love to, to buy the software, but we would really rather uh, not just lease the software from you, but rather lease the whole solution, you know, A to Z. Um, this is something that, you know, in the past, you know, if, if you take two, three years, four years back, um, at least in Asia, you had clients saying, hey, we'd yeah, it'd be nice if you could do that, but we really we, we are happy just to lease the software and, and we'll put it in our own um, data center. We'll build it within our own framework. 
what we're seeing now is clients saying, well, it's no longer a nice to have. It's, it's, it becomes a much stronger call it requirement to have that. And, and, and we are absolutely um, looking to address that. So we are moving our, our model to be much more of a you know, fully hosted model. So we can give you the solution A to Z. Okay, that's interesting. And and yeah, earlier you mentioned yes uh, for some of the uh, projects that firms are looking at. I mean, if they have a specific deadline, for example, with the CIOMS, um, uh you know, closing out uh, Bloomberg CIOMS actually closing out in April 2021, uh, firms should not. Uh, they kind of fought. They basically kind of fought to like hold off any longer. As you said, it can take between one to two months, up to six months. Uh, maybe in some cases even longer. So I, I know that uh, Activity um, is is one of those um, uh, vendors, you know, willing to uh, help with this migration um, or, or or help with the, uh, yeah, see, I'm kind of shutting down. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, could you give us an update of like how migration projects have been going? I know that uh, Activity has been looking to build out some capacity to, you know, help uh, handle some of these migration projects because I mean they're, they're quite a lot to, to do. So yeah, um, yeah maybe you could give me a better idea of uh, what has been going on in that aspect. Yeah, so so look, I think um, it's been going on pretty well. We've uh, you know uh, globally, and I, when, when I say globally, it's, it's mostly Asia and Europe at this point. Um, we have over ten deals of of that type that have already signed. Um, we're looking in Asia at at least another four or five deals um, that we expect to be signed, I would say, within the next quarter or two. Um, I think that um, we, we have beefed up both our uh, internal capabilities to handle it, um, but also I think we've, uh, we've put some focus work up on how we can leverage and kind of um, reset or kind of redeploy this type of uh, an OMS solution um, as quickly as, as we can. Um, I'm saying that because I know we all, you know, it's human nature, we all like to procrastinate. And I'm fully expecting, even though I would love to avoid it, I'm fully expecting that we would have some, some uh, clients coming to us or some prospects coming, coming to us, you know, more in kind of Q3 or even Q4 saying, ah, you know what, we, we realize that we have to do it and we have to do it now and can you really, really do it um, quickly? So, so we are also building, you know, our knowledge database so we could deploy these faster. Uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're in that camp that's been procrastinating, I urge you not to because uh, we will run into capacity problems. Um, I, I guarantee that. Uh, as, it, as it stands right now, we see the, you know, the demand is, is pretty much getting close to our capacity. And, and the later people kind of come in and sign, we, we will have to tell them, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to sign you on. But, you know. If, if, you, if you don't have this project kind of closed and embedded by, by the end of Q2, um, our resources may be uh, pre-subscribed, and, and this is definitely what we're seeing. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, of subscription to, uh, to that particular model. Um, it has opened us to, uh, to new markets uh, across Asia, so, so you, know, uh, you know, we are now going on and, and doing OMS in the Philippines, um, which mm -hmm. is, I think, for us, uh, very interesting. It's not. It's not a market we necessarily initially thought about, but we saw the demand and 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 we saw that there's a lot of interest there, and and we're absolutely uh, happy to service that market. We also have a pretty large uh, office in Manila, 
Um, this is an office that was built, you know, uh, in the Nifex days, uh, around the time that Ulink has acquired Nifex. You know, we've got an office of about 100 people down in Manila. Um, that would help us service that, you know, local community. So, so it's kind of been a win-win for us. Um, you know, making that office more kind of a frontline office, being able to uh, to help clients um, there. But again, uh, what I'm saying is, you know, it's been very successful. Um, I think we've, uh, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, we, we don't have a kind of one size fits all, but I, I think we've uh, we found quite a number of clients, as I said, over 10, that our solution is, is a great fit for them. And and they're, uh, they're pushing forward. They sign contracts, and, and, and we're starting this migration process. I think we'll have the first deployments, you know, kind of coming off the assembly lines, probably in Q2 and, and into Q3. So these are the people that are ahead, ahead of the curve. You know, these are guys that signed contract in uh, Q3 and Q4 of last year, um, and, and they're going to be definitely ready uh, for the April date. Um, I'm just, you know, again, encouraging, if you're, if you're in that camp of procrastinators, uh, it's not it's not a good run to to procrastinate about because you you have to you have to migrate off the Bloomberg solution by April of next year. Okay, so uh, you, you mentioned also that you are, I mean, this integration or this migration project that I mean you've been working on this since last year. Um, how exactly is Activity building up its knowledge base to kind of shorten you know future migration projects? Um, predominantly, we, we've been sharing a lot more information um, with our impl our implementation engineering uh, organization has been sharing information globally. Uh, you know, a lot of it between Europe uh, and Asia, and proactively working with the product guys to find ways that we can kind of um, template some of the configuration. So, so look. So the the biggest maybe I should start by saying the biggest difference I think between. Um, the, the activity solution and, and some of the other solutions, particularly the CMS one, is that the activity solution is extremely customizable. Um, the activity solution, which is built on the Ulink bridge and the Ulink um, OMS, was really designed from the ground up to be, uh, you know, a bespoke solution per client. Now, this is fantastic when you need bespoke solutions, but um, when when you when you have a lot of clients that have um, you know, that don't need a necessarily bespoke solution uh, uh, but need a really quick deployment, what you want to be able is to template um, the solution so you can kind of almost, quote-unquote, copy-paste. Now, I'm, I'm simplifying it. It's not a simple copy-paste. It still requires um, a, 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 some effort on our, on our hand. Mm -hmm. But if we can uh, kind of generalize parts of the CM solution so, so we can almost copy-paste some of it, it allows us to shorten the deployment um, timeframe. A, a normal deployment for you know for a fully customized OMS, again, largely depends on the number of clients you are trying to migrate. Right? It's very different if you if you're uh, if you're a small operation that services one market and maybe has 50 clients to a you know to make, say a regional solution where you're servicing 10 markets and have 500 clients. Right? And, and the migration time will, will be vastly different. One can take you, you know, two to three months. The other can take you six to 12 months. Um, so what we're trying to do is at least a part of the setup to shorten it. And we had some success with that, you know, shortening, you know, deployment for of three months to, you know, two, two and a half months, um, sometimes even to one and a half months when there are small deployments. Um, what takes a lot of, usually a lot of calendar time 
is is the you know work with the individual buy side clients of that broker dealer or bank to migrate them from a solution because you obviously you have to set up time with them we have to test with them um, you you have to do a lot of work on that now one of the one of the uh, I think great improvements we're now building towards because we expect there will be more and more of these migrations we'll have to do them faster is, is this um, solution that we've uh, we've partnered with an AI company that um, helps us do AI-based uh, fixed migration. So this is really about automating the migration, um, large-scale migrations um, from one platform to another. We've recently partnered with an AI company called Imendra, and the the goal of this is really to take their very sophisticated AI models and apply them to something that was done before, and that is to help automate uh, fixed migrations and fixed testing. Um, the idea here is because we're seeing you know more and more of these shops coming, and because we understand human nature, and we there will be procrastinators that will come to us last minute. We still want to be able to, you know, sign those uh, uh, those deals on and still, you know, adhere to their what will probably be very short timeframes. And by using this new uh, AI-based technology, basically automate at least part, if not all, the migration process. And by that, cutting the time, you know, of months to weeks. Um, that will allow us to service that. Once again, I will say to our listeners, take it with a grain of salt. It's not an excuse to procrastinate. If you know you're sitting on a system that is end of life, it is better to, you know, to come up and, uh, and, get a, and sign on a solution now than wait to, uh, to the end of Q3 or Q4 because you're really going to cut it short. What actually happens, okay, let's say in a worst case scenario, what actually happens if, let's say, uh, a broker is... is isn't um, maybe making the very, very last minute decision, or maybe even they realize, oh, oh crap, it's April 2021. Um, oh yeah, this solution is uh, end of life this month. Um, what happens if they, maybe paint a situation for me where, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the, the absolute worst that can happen is your OMS license says basically end of life, and you're sitting there with no capabilities of accepting your client's orders electronically, which you know not only will hurt your reputation, but most likely what will happen is if those clients will start using one of your uh, one of your competing competing brokers, um, and we know you know I, I've been in that business you know of servicing the buy side and. And to some extent, you know, execution services, as I said, the value add that you are adding as a broker is finding liquidity and the quality of your execution. If your buy side client get used to uh, all of a sudden is pushed to use another broker because your system is, uh, you know, end of life and basically expired and he cannot send orders to you, then what will happen is they'll they'll try something new and maybe they'll see that, hey, it works. You know, it's like all of us trying to work from home now and say, you know what? Some of the functions you can actually do for you can do uh, you can work from home. So, you know, you started to get to this getting used to this new uh, broker. You may turn more volume to them. So by the time you actually figured out uh, uh, another vendor for your MS and you've you've signed a deal and you've onboarded it, and you go back to your client and say, Hey, now I'm ready to accept your flow again. 
the client might tell you, well, it's too bad because now I've already, you know, got used to using one of your competitors. And you know what? Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait until your competitor stuffs up before I'm going to give you another try. It also really looks bad. It looks like, you, you know, you you cannot manage your technology, right? You knew this this product's going to expire. Mm. It, it reduces the trust of your of your clients in your ability to manage um, your technology. And look, a big part of execution these days is technology. So, I, I it, it could be a very bad scenario. Um, mm. I don't think it has to be. I think that um, you know. Uh, you should, you should definitely not leave it to the last minute, um, as in, you know, not to April. And I would say not even to January 2021. <laughs> Three months is an extremely short time frame to migrate. If you've got two clients and, and, and one market you're trading, yeah, that's not a big deal. But most of our clients and most of the clients that, you know, these types of solutions fit, you know, they, they've got tens, if not hundreds of clients. And, and again, reasonable migration, you know, takes three to six months. Um, and you know that's from the moment you've got a signed deal, and to sign a deal usually again takes another you know couple of months. So you know if you factor all that together, um, now now is the time. Now is the time to move on it before you hit okay. the red line. Yeah. Okay. I hope that message uh, gets clearly sent across. <laughs> so yeah. um, <laughs> before you wrap up here, um, you know maybe could you detail some of Activity's plans going forward. Has there been any need to reprioritize some of the um, maybe technology upgrades or uh, investments that uh, you were planning to make just in light of the current situation? Maybe they're still going on, but maybe you reprioritize them. Yeah. So, so again, right now, I'll start from, you know, kind of the, the, the revenue picture. Right now, we're looking at a relatively revenue, uh, stable revenue picture for, for activity. Um, a reasonably, you know, the, the, the pipelines are still moving at a reasonable speed. We have, we have seen some deals get delayed, mostly because, you know, it's harder to get people uh, to sign because they are scattered all over, you know, uh, homes and in, in different sometimes geographical areas. So sometimes the, the signature process, the review process and signature takes a little bit longer. So we've definitely seen these delays. Um, but we have not seen, you know, uh, firms completely say, look, the deal I thought I'm going to do or the system I thought I'm going to buy, I'm not going to do. Um, because the volatility has been fueling some of these uh, prop shops and, and because, you know, overall, we, you know, right now this kind of market crisis has led at least initially to more trading activities. And, and, and because of the, the activity system have fared fantastically well through that. So I, I would I didn't mention it before, but. Throughout this hyper uh, trading period, we have not experienced, knock on wood, any, uh, I, I wouldn't even say major outages, any even significant outages. Um, you know, our system have been coping with the, with the additional volumes. Um, our support staff has been online and been able to help, and we've been able to expand um, and, and add memory or CPU where, where needed. So we're looking, you know, at a relatively stable revenue uh, period for us for the near future. Therefore, we have not really changed our investment um, strategy. We are still heavily investing in automation. We are investing in AI. We've actually, uh, as I said, we, we are looking to. We've we've done this partnership because we expect you know there will be more migrations. Um, so we are still kind of moving forward with the with our automation. We're moving forward with um, with enhancing our high touch OMS capabilities globally, um, predominantly you know. 
um, adding functionality in the U.S. first, and and then even adding more functionality in Asia. So we're we're continuing, you know, to push our uh, our investments. We we are expanding into market. I've mentioned before, you know, we're we're now doing a solution in the Philippines. We are also looking to expand into Thailand. We are looking to do um, uh, a deal in Thailand. So. I, I would say, you know, we're continuing our investment trajectory um, as before with a large emphasis on automation, um, with a large emphasis on, on high-touch OMS and, and, uh, and anything that has to do with uh, using AI to improve our capabilities to do migrations. Okay, just to maybe uh, highlight one of your points earlier. Uh, so you said you you are experiencing maybe some delays in certain projects, like um, in terms of maybe signing uh, signing the deal. Um, which for which solutions are these for, um, or uh, is this collectively across the board? It, it, it's been across the board. I mean, it, you know, we've got a quite a large client base in China, and and we we continue to grow it. So so first, you know, we kind of felt it first in China because you know obviously it's harder to get. Uh, stakeholders together to sign on something. Um, mm. It's then kind of uh, spread, you know, uh, across Asia. Now we're seeing kind of this, call it backlog, uh, starts to shrink a bit, and and we're seeing some of that in Europe. So w- what I would say, what we're finding encouraging is we're seeing what I would call administrative delays. Right? It's basically clients saying, uh, I still I'm going to sign this deal. It just it's harder for me to get all the stakeholders together. Um, to get this over the line um, versus we have not seen a lot of um, clients. I can't even recall at this point one case where a client came to us and said, look, this project which I thought I'm going to do, I'm going to completely shelf it right now until I see how this COVID story unfolds. Now, I don't think it's out of the question that this will happen, you know, as as the year progresses, but at least up until now, you know, uh, in Asia, you know, which has got the brunt of the COVID I'd say restrictions in Q1, we, ha- we have not seen a single case where a client came to us and completely canceled a project because of this. And most of my, you know, uh, uh, most of our clients and our broker friends, which, we, which I have conversations, they've actually had a pretty reasonable start of the year in terms of trading volumes. Um, so, so, so even on the, on the sell side of the, the equation of our clients, they have not experienced, uh, you know, uh, uh, I would say a major drop in their revenue streams. Uh, now, everybody, of course, we don't know how this story will unfold. And, and you know, if if the restrictions on on, uh, on socializing and movement will continue, you know, for six or eight months, we'd expect there will be some impact. But for now, I would say we're very encouraged. We've not seen major impacts in Asia. And, and and I think everybody, you know, my, in my organization, I have frequent talks with uh, Rob, my CEO, and he's kind of asking me, you know, how are things in Asia? Because they're trying to understand how things would look in, in Europe mm. next and then in the U.S. <laughs> so uh, everybody's kind of encouraged from the fact that I think we it's been handled pretty well uh, in APAC. Okay. Okay. I think uh, uh, we've probably run out of time, a little bit over time. So um Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today, Ophir. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. Thank you very much, Wei. It's uh, always a pleasure to uh, to have a chat with you. Thank you. Thanks and bye bye.